Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. Hey, remember now, man, I have a new idea for a ukulele song, so stand by. The world trembles. <laughs> As they should. Before we get into the media episode, I want to make sure you make sure to swing by sponsor Atlantic Brewing's booth during HomebrewCon. On Thursday, 627, post our seminar and book signing, so somewhere around 415-ish. We'll be at the booth helping guide a massive experiment. If you want to know the results, come by our live podcast on Friday, 628 at Country Malt Homebrew Group's booth at 2 p.m. You won't be able to miss us. You're going to hear us over the crowd. Meanwhile, on this episode, we realize that there's a gap in our feedback loop. You often ask us for our advice and listen to what we say about brewing without a clue about how our beer tastes. While we wish we could send beer to all y'all, we'd have to contract with ABI to pull that stunt off. So on this episode, you're going to hear Denny tasting my 45th IPA and one more surprise because I sent him cans. So what do you think, Denny? Good idea? I think the cans were a very good idea. Uh, do you want me to talk about the beer too? <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, sit back and take a listen to this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, who invites you to attend HomebrewCon this June 27th to June 29th in Providence, Rhode Island. HomebrewCon brings 3,000 homebrewers together for three days of brewing, seminars, nighttime events, and camaraderie. HomebrewCon is also the leading showcase of brewing supplies and equipment. Visit homebrewcon.org to learn more. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.
Well, hey, welcome back. You know, we've been talking about these beers for just a little bit of time. And, you know, we talked a little bit about our recipe design philosophies and whatnot. But it's a rare thing that we ever do it where we then get to taste the beers together and try these things and then talk about what it is that we feel. So this is going to be something slightly different. You guys will remember I, for my 45th birthday, I brewed up what I called my 45th IPA. And I've sent samples of it to Denny. So we're going to taste on a little bit and Denny can, uh, Denny can tell you truthfully whether or not my beer sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we're tasting rather than talking because, uh, to paraphrase Thomas Wolf, uh, talking about beer is like dancing about architecture. Now uh, let's set the stage for the 45th anniversary IPA because I've talked about it in round terms, but I never really put the recipe out there. And I figured before we taste, we can talk the recipe and then also talk why I chose to do things the way that I did because I'm weird. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's always the reason, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So this was a 40 gallon batch that I did at my homebrew shop because we have big 50 gallon kettles and it's always fun to do as as much beer as you can. So for a 40-gallon recipe, this thing was targeted to have an original gravity of 1074 because I was born in 1974. It was targeted to have 74 IBUs. It was going to be boiled for 74 minutes. You may sense a theme. <laughs> and you're 74 inches tall, right? And I carry the one. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Also in the whole thing, so t starting gravity at 1074, alcohol would end up being about 7.98 ish, so a very strong IPA. IBUs were calculated to be 74 IBUs. SRM on it's about six and a half. And the recipe itself had four malts, right? So four malts. Half of that was, or half of the big portions of the malt were American Pale uh, Two Row, so Great Western Two Row at 51 pounds worth. The other half was 51 pounds of crisp Maris Otter. You know, that's one of my favorite combinations. I always <laughs> like combining pale malt and Maris Otter for a for an IPA base. It, it just tastes wonderful to me. And then five and a half pounds of an American Crystal 10. I would usually go for the Belgian uh, C8, but I didn't have it in stock at our shop at that time. So instead, I went for a Crystal 10. And then the unusual addition was also five and three quarters pounds of flate corn. Interesting. Interesting. Well, because I wanted to have something with a little bit of sweetness, but also something that would go a little dry. And this was kind of a nod towards all the brute IPA stuff that's been going on recently. So, you know, those will almost, almost always seem to have flaked rice or flaked corn in them to lend lightness. And I just decided it'd be kind of interesting. I know some people do for their base malts for their IPAs, particularly if they're going for that really aggressive San Diego style IPA, they'll go Pilsner as the base malt. I'm not quite there yet. So this was just to do a little bit of extra lightness in the beer while still having those toasty, toasty aromas of the Maris Otter. I still put Crystal 60 in my IPAs because I've always done it and I like it. So, Well, the beer itself was very untrendedly mashed. It was just a single infusion mash at 152 for 60 minutes and raised it up to, to mash out because our shop system has a Herms coil in it. So literally doing that is just plugging in a number and stepping back and going, Ooh, look, it's going up. You know, you blew it, man. You could have mashed for 74 minutes. I know. I thought about it, but <laughs> we did what we did. Yeah. Then the hops, because of course it's an IPA. Oh, well, and there was one water chemistry adjustment. I added um, ooh, something like 60 grams of gypsum. You know, so a, a whole bunch of gypsum for this water just to kind of give it a little bit of that extra edge. Do you remember how many gallons of water you used? 
Oh, for the mashin, uh, we did one and a quarter. So if we're at 113 and a half pounds uh, times one and a quarter divided by four, uh, that's about 35 and a half gallons. So you put in 60 grams of gypsum? That's my memory. 20, there's 28 grams to an ounce, right? Something like that. So, so you put in two ounces of gypsum into a 40 gallon batch. Well, and remember, there's also all the sparge water. So, yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was it was somewhere between 40 and 60. But yeah, it was it was a fair amount. Wow. And then the hopping was bittered with Warrior. So six ounces of Warrior at 16% alpha acid. Um, five ounces of Cascade uh, that were whirlpooled for 20 minutes at 174 degrees. I didn't forget that one. <laughs> Five ounces of citra, also in the whirlpool at 174 degrees for 20 minutes. And then five and a half ounces of Columbus at 15% alpha acid, also whirlpooled at 174 for 20 minutes. Because our shop system has a big immersion coil in it. So we just did what everybody's everybody kind of would think about. And we just dropped that beard down to 174. And we had to race and make sure that we didn't go any lower. And then just whirlpooled with the hops in there for 20 minutes before we kept going. Got everything down to temperature. And then pitched with San Diego Super Yeast. You notice I only had four hop additions in there. And that's because the final hop addition actually went into the keg. And it was the hop terpenes that we talked about on the Brew Files episode a couple weeks back with Matt Humbard about the, the terpenes that he produced at Patton Brewing. And so those terpenes went into the keg at the very last minute. And I know I shipped you some uh, Columbus terpenes there, Denny. I'm about to brew a batch of rye IPA and they'll go into that. Uh, and then, I mean, overall, to me, this recipe, I mean, this is a fairly straightforward IPA in a lot of ways, just with a funny story attached to it. I kind of went for a mix of classical things that we think about with an IPA and some newfangled things, not quite in the juicy, fruity, hazy department, but, you know, sort of nodding that way. And also that flake corn is a nod to the um, to the brewed IPA trend. And then, of course, using San Diego Super Yeast because it tends to ferment everything in sight. Just starting from that description, Denny, what do you think? What are you expecting? Uh, I'm expecting a fairly dry, uh, thin-bodied beer. Well, shall we uh, see if your if your expectations are correct? <laughs> yeah, let's do. So uh, we're we're starting with the X and the bar. Is that correct? Yes, X and bar. If you haven't been paying attention to my social media feed or the, the podcast social media feed, I shipped Denny a, a set of 16-ounce cans. And unfortunately, at the time, I didn't have my blue painter's tape on me. I don't know where it went. It disappeared somewhere in the wilds of the brewery. And so all I had on me was good old-fashioned electrical tape. So everything got marked with hieroglyphics, for lack of a better way of putting it. And I heard a good pift. Yeah, man. Just just opening the can, uh, I got an amazing hop aroma. That's what I was hoping for. I also sprayed beer all over my face. Well, that's normal. Maybe for you, bucko. You can hear that carbonation. For people who haven't seen me do this, I did a video somewhere, and I don't know what happened to it, uh, of me doing canning. I just can with a Blickman beer gun, and I have an all-American uh can seamer, just like what you'd see in a lot of breweries, except for mine has a big flywheel on the back and you manually crank it, as opposed to having a big motor with a gear on it. Do you have the Pointer Sisters over when you do it? Think about it. Think about it. Yeah, that 
took a moment. <laughs> okay. You're not allowed to make jokes anymore. But one thing I do uh, differently is I, I'll do the, the cans low and slow, but we'll get into that after we taste the beer. So, uh, Denny, uh, what are your impressions here? Uh, one of them is cloudier and has massive hop aroma coming from it. Uh, the other one has much less hop aroma to it. Uh, maybe, maybe a bit of malt and I'm getting some yeast aroma also from it. I'm assuming which one has the less hop aroma? The bar. Mm-hmm. And so X screams hops, right? Yeah, it, it really does. I'm going to go ahead and taste them now. And the difference, of course, is that bar is the 45th IPA without any of the hop terpenes. And then X has the hop terpenes added into the keg. Yeah, that, that would pretty obvious, huh? Yeah, it's not a subtle difference. And they're both sweeter than I would have guessed that they would be, and they both have more body than I would have guessed also. Mm-hmm. The sweetness is kind of off-putting at first. But the one with the, the terpenes, um, obviously that really kind of balances it out a bit. That's very nice, man. I'm I'm looking forward to checking those out. Yeah, and so you want to take a guess as to which one of the terpenes this was? No, I don't think so. <laughs> give me give me a choice. What did you have? Uh, either Citra or Columbus. Oh, this has got to be Columbus. Final answer? Uh, yeah. Nope. It's the Citra. Well, that's going to make me uh, right on the other one, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny, I'm, I'm not getting any of the fruitiness that I expect with Citra out of it. Yeah, and that was one of the things with this particular terpene was that uh, because of the source batch of Citra, it didn't scream out the same sort of pineapple mango uh, aromas I always think of with Citra. And it does come off more herbal. Yeah, definitely so. One thing one thing that I am just not clear on, and maybe I, I need to go back and listen to the podcast again, what is the difference between the terpenes and say something like you could make with the Pico still if you were making essential hop oils. Well, I think the primary difference is just the post-treatment that he's doing. So one is that, of course, if you looked at his process, the the hops themselves were never immersed in any liquid, right? So it was all, it was all steam vapored. So if you had like a gin infusion basket, for instance, you could do that in a regular still. And then the other part was after the collection and the separation, uh, then adding a emulsifying agent like a lecithin, so that the the oils would go into solution more easily. Mm-hmm. So that that's the the big difference. But no, I mean Matt even talked about it. Like with a still, you could do a lot of the same stuff at home. It's just obviously you know he's got a little bit more time and grade and uh, fancier equipment to do it with. Right, and you know, and I haven't used the Pico still to do it yet. But my impression is that the you know it, it's a you know dry steam process, not not a uh, not an immersion in water process too, but. I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to uh, try a batch and see what happens, huh? Yeah. And now one of the other things you'll notice is that there's no uh, there's no extra bitterness here from the terpenes. No, right? uh-uh. no. The, I mean, the, the terpene beer feels much hoppier, mm-hmm. but overall, it's not any more bitter. Right. And what's surprising to me is that for 74 IBUs of bitterness, this is still a fairly mildly bitter beer. I mean, it definitely has hops in it. Don't get me wrong. Right, yeah. Just... No, I, I would not have guessed it was uh, 74 IBUs for sure. Uh, and the other thing that's interesting is that it's cloudier than the other beer. Well, uh, the terpene beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's one of the one of the things that we stated in the podcast was he he knew that the terpenes would help throw a little bit of haze. Mm-hmm. So that's not uh, that's not completely unexpected. I wonder what it is chemically that is making that happen. Uh, do you know? I, I, I suspect it's just the emulsifier and the oils. I mean, it's the only thing it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, man. It, it, it would be interesting to know. Uh, at any rate, though, uh, you know, it, it certainly makes that beer pop. Um, let me go back to the normal one here. Normal. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, and I am getting some bitterness there, but it, it it does have a much higher apparent sweetness to it, which is amazing to me because this was a big pitch off of a yeast cone from one of my local breweries of San Diego Super. And it took off like a rocket. And I'm I'm getting a yeast character in here uh, that I just don't care for. That is covered up in the terpene beer. Um, and it, it could just relate to my feelings about this yeast. I, I've never really been a big fan of it. There you go. So now let's go and crack open the other one. Okay. Let me get things arranged here. So in the higher uh, in the hieroglyphics uh, the system that I put together for this, we should be looking at bar cross and plus, or not equal sign and a plus for the mathematicians out there. I just got beer all over my pop screen. <laughs> so while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the canning process a little bit more. So like I said, I have 16 ounce cans set up for an all American canner, just aluminum cans. I make a nice cold batch of sandy clean and I soak the cans in there and let them hang out along with some lids in a separate jar. And then I use a Blickman beer gun to fill this. Now, the one thing I do differently is most of the time when you talk using a Blickman beer gun, everybody talks, Hey, you know, you hook your CO2 tank up to both the beer gun and the keg, right? You do both those at the same time. I don't do that. Actually, in this particular case for the cans, I use two separate gas tanks. And the reason for that is I'll leave the keg connected to a gas tank that is driving at regular serving pressure. And then the beer gun itself, I actually feed with a separate tank that's running much lower PSI. So like five PSI. And the reason for that is so that I can get a gentler flow of CO2 into the can. Remember that, uh, you know, air and CO2 will mix together. And so the smoother I can make the flow, the the more laminar I can make the flow out of the beer gun, which happens more readily at a lower pressure, the more CO2 I'm going to get into the can with less mixing of oxygen. So that's since I don't have any of the fancy purging mechanisms that a professional canner will have, that's what I do in order to kind of keep the, the gas flow so that I'm reasonably assured that I'm getting more CO2 than anything else. And then fill nice and slow. Uh, cap on foam and then run the thing through the canner 22 turns with the crank and next thing you know you got a can <laughs> 22 turns with the crank can you uh, hook a drill or something up to it yes you can uh, so if i wanted to i could just hook the cordless drill up to it the the brewery models that they use to make crawlers for instance they actually have motors with clutches and whatnot on them so the motor will spin automatically the right number of turns and then disengage wow that's amazing Mm-hmm. Okay, now let me see here. Oh yeah, once again, it's just immediately obvious which is which. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time, I would not say that the terpene beer is significantly cloudier 
for whatever reason that is. You know, maybe I shook these cans up when I was bringing them into the room here. Um, so this is the one with the Columbus in it, huh? Yep, this is the one with the Columbus in it. And there's also a another thing going on in this one. That's really weird. <laughs> it smells dank, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, okay, so the plus is the one with the Columbus terpenes then, right? That would be correct. Yeah, okay. Um, it just... Yeah, uh, it, it, what's really weird is that I can kind of like taste the Columbus in that one a little bit. And it, uh, I'm having trouble with that matching with the sweetness in the beer. Mm-hmm. But the the hop character is very nice. Uh, and again, the one without this. So the one without should be pretty much the same as the one without that we had before, right? Right. Except for it was a different batch. And one thing I notice in the one without, in this particular case, both of these actually, there's the background note of diacetyl. Yep. Definitely so. And so one of the big differences between the version that had the citrus, so the first one that you tasted, and this one, mm. the one that that we put did with the citra, that was just done in one of my 10 gallon corny kegs in a water bath in my garage and very, very limited temperature control on it. The one that you're having now was done in one of those HDPE cubes that I'd been using for no chill brewing. Now in this particular case, I did chill the beer, but this one went into my temperature control fridge. And what I suspect happened here was I was a little too aggressive with the crashing at the, at the finish. And so the yeast didn't get a chance to clean up all the diastole that it oh, produced. Right. There was still some from What was, do you happen to remember what the gravity was when you crashed it? Uh, I want to say it was like 1014. Yeah. Okay. So then it still, it's, it still had some work for the yeast to do in there. But that was kind of where I figured it would start coming to a stop. So I was like, okay, well, I'll start, I'll, I'll start lowering the temperature down. And I guess I was just a little too aggressive. Yeah. Right. No, I've, I've done the same thing, man. Uh, you know, you think that everything is done, but uh, even if there's just a couple points of gravity left, that's enough food for the yeast to get them to keep cleaning things up. Well, all, you know, all in all, man, I think you did okay for your 45th birthday. I know, right? Yeah, just give me a couple of years and I'll be right up right up there with you. <laughs> in age? Yeah, exactly. Now, you got to I mean, you got to admit it's interesting to see the the difference that those terpenes make, right? They just kind of jump out at you mm -hmm. yeah they're, they're like super dry hopping and to tell you the truth it kind of reminds me of the same kind of effect you get with cryo hops yeah except for this is even more potent i think um and and actually a little more accessible and my one thought on this is actually the amount that i added to this which was for the five gallon keg it was one of those 50 milliliter bottles i sent you of the hydroslate plus the oils and i just dumped that whole bottle into the keg and i for my particular taste i think that's actually too much yeah i can i mean you know it, it's definitely there and in your face um too much yeah I, I could i could see that maybe but it again it depends on the base beer that you're putting them into so what other thoughts do you have on the recipe what would you change i might take the corn out the first thing I would do would be use a different yeast. Gee, I can I can only imagine which one. 
<laughs> yeah, how about that? Um, there's just something about this San Diego yeast that I have never cared for that, the flavor that it, uh, it gives the beer. Uh, not that I'm an expert on it, but, uh, the few times I've had a beer made with it, they have not been my favorites. I might, you know, 1450, 1056, you know, maybe one of those, uh, I would have gone for. I mean, especially because, I mean, you said you wanted to really dry it out, and but 1074 isn't all that high gravity to start with, so there are a lot of yeasts that would have done that. The recipe, I'm trying to figure out why it comes across as so sweet when it's 74 IBUs, and you just used a little bit of that crystal 10. I can't, I mean, the corn just doesn't account for the sweetness I'm, I'm getting from this. So I, I just don't know what, what to say. Uh, yeah. Well, and the corn and the crystal 10 were both five, five ish percent between the two of them or, you know, each. You know what it is? I'll bet it's, I'll bet it's the Maris otter that, that uh, is because, you know, you like that extra malt that it gives to the beer and I don't care for Maris Otter and IPAs most of the time just because of that reason. So, you know, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with this beer because you made it to your taste. If I was going to make it to my taste, I would probably not be using the Maris Otter and uh, maybe going with some of Seth's malt or something like that. Yeah, the problem is I didn't have 51 pounds of Mecca grade on hand. <laughs> Well, geez, what's wrong with your stock, man? You know how it goes. I think the other thing I would probably do is I didn't do it on this batch, and I normally do a lot of times on IPAs, is in the hop editions, I would have also probably, when I had that 60-minute bittering Charger Warrior, I probably would go and add also a, a touch of Chinook. Yeah, I was Yeah, I was going to say, if, I didn't realize you bittered this all with Warrior, but uh, that that accounts for a lot of it right there, I think. For for an IPA, I like a bittering hop that's going to give you a, a bit of a slap, not something more neutral like Warrior or Magnum. But again, you know, that's that's my taste. Other people, you know, pretty much do everything with, like, Magnum, don't you? I, I do a lot with Magnum, yes. But again, most of the time I'm doing that. It's not for very, very hoppy beers. In this particular case, I I wanted to shy away from anything that was going to be uberly characterful because I wanted to make sure I could really read what was happening with those uh, terpenes that were coming in. And in this particular case, boy, howdy, can you read what's going on with the terpenes? <laughs> yeah, I would say that that's, that's the one thing there's absolutely no doubt about is that uh, they are very noticeable and make quite a difference between the beer that doesn't have them. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to being able to play more with these. I think these are really fascinating. So I'm, I'm really happy to see that you know, the kind of the impact that they gave. And I mean, overall, I mean, is this beer perfect? Nope. Is it exactly what I want it to be? Nope. Am I happy with what what we ended up making? Sure. Because I also had a blast on my birthday doing this. Yeah, there you go, man. That's, that's definitely counts for something. So before we leave the 45th IPA, any last thoughts? Uh, so did you get all 40 gallons of this for yourself? Oh, no, no, no. I only got 10. <laughs> and I got 10 and I took both, uh, both the kegs to the club festival, uh, like, what was that? Two weeks ago. And I came back with a, a quarter of a keg. <laughs> so, so obviously it was popular. That's why I canned them before I took it to the festival. <laughs> Good idea. Do it while you could. No, I think, you know, 
I mean, you know me, I, I never get a recipe right the first time or almost never. So, uh, I understand what you're saying about this, but, uh, it is. It's darn close. It's a good beer. You won't have any trouble drinking the rest of your uh, quarter of a keg. Nope, not at all. So, I'm like I said, I'm I'm rather chuffed at how this came out. It didn't come out perfectly, but it definitely uh, taught me a couple of things. So that's good. Now there is one other can that you have. In honor of John Meyer, I've got my rogue tasting glass here. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so here we go. Let me open this one. You have to admit, there's something fun about being able to open up a can of homebrew. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this one looks like you accidentally added gravy mix to. <laughs> Indeed, didn't I? So this one is, you remember a couple months back, we did the Brew of the Falcon session, and that was on the podcast, a wonderfully rambling interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit hazy on the interview. But this was one of the beers that we produced that day, and this is what I've been calling the uh, Cape Point New South African IPA. And this was it, – it's my standard hazy base uh, IPA, which I know is your favorite thing in the universe, Denny. But the reason for this one was I wanted to do something that would play around with some of those new South African hops that are coming over uh, that Yakima Valley hops had uh, for sale earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So this is a all-UK base. So it's – Maris Otter, it is British Oat Malt, and it is uh, Gold Naked Oats. All right, so we got, I think we got Crisp, Thomas Fawcett's, and uh, Simpsons all in one mix. So how many how many British maltsters can we get in one mix? Uh, original <laughs> gravity of 1061, beer's about 5.5%, uh, about 84 IBUs by the numbers, bittering, all warrior. Everything else was uh, Whirlpool Edition, uh, an ounce each of Yakima Valley's African Queen and Southern Passion that was whirlpooled for 20 minutes at 180 degrees and then then dry hopped in the, the primary after seven days, or actually, sorry, dry hopped in the primary after three days for seven days with, again, another ounce of African Queen and Southern Passion and then fermented with uh, the White Labs London Fog Yeast. So... T- uh, tell me what you got. Um, the the bitterness is definitely more assertive than in the other beers. Um, I don't know if it's the 10 IBU difference or something about the base malt letting it come through more. Um, the haze isn't isn't too obnoxious. Uh, I mean, and I'm not talking visually. I'm talking what it does to flavor and mouthfeel. Generally, my problem with hazy beers is that they're uh, really, really astringent. This one has a lower level of astringency than a lot of the ones that uh, that I've tried before. So, you know, it's it, it's not a bad beer. It looks terrible. Uh, it does not seem to be inviting for me to drink, but it tastes pretty good. Well, and I can tell that this is... This is getting past its prime now, so unfortunately, it's it's on the downward trend. But just to read off real quick, the African Queen, its tasting notes are uh, gooseberries, melon, cassis, chilies, and gazpacho. Come on, that was that was <laughs> the one that made me laugh when I read that. And then the Southern Passion is passion fruit, guava, floral, and also uh, that coconut thing 
that we're finding some hops now. Yeah, and I'm getting I'm getting more of that than I am of the other one. Um, may, maybe maybe a little gooseberry in the flavor, but <laughs> no no freaking gazpacho, dude. Well, when this was younger and fresher, you could definitely get a little bit of a chili pepper thing. So a little bit of that uh, pyrazine type character. Yeah. And that, but no tomatoes. No, I, I never got the tomato thing. It is what it is. But I mean, again, this was all about trying to express those South African hops and trying to figure out what those were like. And it was really interesting to me. I know there are a number of these hops that are coming on now with these coconut tones to them. Yeah, we had we had one from uh, Yakima Chief. Remember, it was like coconut and cedar. Yeah, it's one of the HPC. Yeah, like four thirty six or something. Something like that. I don't remember the exact number. And my my problem with it is like, okay, so you give me hops, I want to go make them and put them into an IPA, and I have a really hard time getting my head around that coconut thing in an IPA. And I don't know if that's just personal bias, or if that that combination just isn't going to work. But in this particular case, the level of coconut, it's more of that young flesh coconut and not the kind of the coconut husk. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't right. feel, it doesn't feel as woody as I think the HBC one did. Well, and, and the HBC had notes of cedar to it too, uh, cedar, lime and coconut, as I recall, they said about that one, this one, um, you know, I guess I don't have as much problem with coconut, when you consider all the other fruit flavors that are showing up in uh, in IPAs these days, coconut doesn't bother me. <laughs> now, it's interesting that you said that there's no astringency to this. No, no, I said I said that there's not as much astringency as there typically is in a hazy IPA. My, and my guess would be that it's because, in comparison to some of the other hazy IPAs that people are doing out there, the actual overall hop load in this is still not super aggressive. Right. So, exactly. I mean, between the whirlpool and the dry hop, it's only four ounces for a five gallon batch. Right. So, and I've seen some of these things where people are doing these hazy IPAs where it's, you know, like eight ounces, 10 ounces per five gallons. And that to me, I can totally see where you'd get the astringency. There was a guy on Facebook today was talking about using three pounds of dry hops in a five gallon batch. (laughs) It's like, okay, man. No, but the, you know, this is, this doesn't have that super drying and gritty astringency that I get out of a lot of New England IPAs, but it, it does have some. I mean, I'm sitting here and my mouth is definitely dry from, uh, from whatever is going on here. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, other, other beers that I've made with, you know, like say five ounces of dry hops in it, uh, I don't get that from. So maybe it's, uh, I guess maybe it could be the fact that you put them in during fermentation and I don't do that. I mean, whether or not you want to call it biotransformation or whatever, you get that, that change up that happens. I think the other thing is because the hops I chose here aren't like citrus forward type hops. You're also not getting that limonene and citronol sort of mouth stripping uh, thing that happens, you know, where it feels like somebody's, you know, washing your face with orange clean. Yeah. I mean, and again, to me, it's just, uh, it, it doesn't have the level of grittiness that, uh, that a lot of other, those other ones do. Well, because I cold crashed the hell out of this thing. <laughs> right. So definitely, definitely not a yeast thing going on in here in this beer. This is all the hop oils and everything else and a little bit of that odiness. Um, but no, I, I thought this was fun. 
I mean, again, it's also not a perfect beer. Uh, it's not my uh, not my favorite beer I've ever done, but I think it was a good chance to explore these new hops and try and understand some of what was going on with them. And it was also kind of a fun chance to be able to send you some beer. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate that, man. Uh, did you learn something from all these? Well, I I learned the particular characters for these hops, I think. You know, with th- th- this one, again, we're back to that coconut thing where I think just maybe for me, if I'm going to put coconut into an IPA like this, then I've got to really step on the gas on the tropical fruit character. You know, like I could imagine like if you had a, like a really aggressively tropical fruity citra, right? For instance, you could throw that in with something like this and then end up in that pina colada world that we talked about uh, not too long ago. <laughs> pina colada world. It's like bizarro world, huh? Hey, uh, let's escape. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, two hit wonder Rupert Holmes coming back. <laughs> But yeah, I think with this one, I learned that aspect of it. Um, And I also think I'd want to play around a little bit more with the water chemistry here because I did this actually with fairly just neutral LA water. No, no big changes to it. I think I'd actually just my own biases showing here. I think I'd want some gypsum in here. I'd want a little bit of extra crispness up against all that oil. Oh, you didn't put any gypsum in this no. like you did in your 45 IPA. No, and in the 45 IPA, yeah. I totally agree with you about like changing out the yeast. And actually, I think uh, I probably put in more gypsum. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as over the top as it sounds like, it doesn't seem to have been too much. So uh, maybe like when I drink the rest of these, I'll experiment with like a pinch in the glass or something. Well, I hope you had fun doing this. I did, man. And once again, thank you for uh, getting it together to send me those beers. I really appreciate that. Every once in a while, miracles do happen. <laughs> that, that We have proof of that now. To our listeners, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. I uh, hope that you learned something and got to see a little bit more of our, our thought process, both why I went and made these beers the way that I made them, the things that I think are right and wrong with them, the things that Denny thinks are right and wrong with them. Also the fact that, I mean, look, I'm, I'm frankly telling you, these beers aren't perfect. There's a fermentation flaw in the 45th and that one that has the diastole. I am human too. You know, despite the fact that we sit here and we talk all day about making beer and we've written a lot about it, we still make mistakes and we're still not perfect at this. So we're oh, still learning. Man. Tell me about it. So, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. If you did, please drop us a line. Let us know because who knows, there's always more chance for us to try beer. That's right. I guess it's my turn to send some down to you now, huh? That's right. Get off your lazy butt. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping to brew three batches in the next week or so. So maybe I'll uh, get some. I won't have a snazzy canner, but maybe I'll try and get some down to you. There we go. I'll, I'll perfectly take a beer in bottles. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this tasting of homebrews that simultaneously are and aren't good. Yes, I've got tweaks, but I'm happy with the beers in general and how they came out. And again, the big point to the takeaway of all of this tasting thing was, are they perfect? Nope. But are they close to what I want? Yep. And I think this was kind of fun, you know, to do. And boy, do those hop terpenes make a huge difference. What do you think, Denny? Yeah, man. Uh, I may not have been able to pick out which terpene was which, but I could certainly pick out the beers that had them. They they make a huge difference, and I've got a rye IPA going now that's going to get some of the Columbus terpenes, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Yeah, we'll call that the super rye. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I know I want feedback from our audience. What did you guys think of the show? It was something a little different for us, but I had fun doing it and gave me a good excuse to break out the canner and surprise Denny with things that he may or may not like. Yeah, man. I thought that the coolest part was you actually sent me beer. I know. It happens. The apocalypse <laughs> may be around the corner. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not very often, but it happened this time. Uh, it was great. Uh, I'm going to break out the uh, Quake one today. All right. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the ahabrewswag.com code word experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... Wings of Rescue. It's a uh, 501c3 all-volunteer organization. They fly pets from shelters where they'd be euthanized to shelters where they won't be euthanized. And that's good karma. Absolutely. So until next time, remember to always brew wacky or brew experimentally and the brew is out there. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Homebrewing by two guys named Denny Khan and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Homebrewing. Simple Homebrewing.